The following is Pantak Report's interview with Pardeep Singh Nagra, where he talks about his Hollywood movie Tiger, and he expresses his views on Sikhi and living as a Sikh today. Joining us today is a man that can pack a punch, not only with his left hook, but has also held a strong voice internationally, being a keynote speaker at the UN and Pentagon. Please welcome humanitarian advocate and former amateur boxing champion, Pardeep Singh Nagra. I want to start off with where you were born. You were born in Punjab, then you came down over here to Canada, and now you got a movie coming out, a Hollywood movie on your life story. It's pretty amazing. It's not a small deal, you know? And I just want to begin from the, from the start. How old were you when you came down to uh, Malton? Yeah, so I was a toddler when I was born in Punjab. I, call, I always say I was born in the land of the five rivers and then I decided to come and live by the five lakes. So the, the V or the five has never been too far away from me. And I, I was a toddler, so uh, I was about three years old uh, when uh, my family migrated here. And, um, and the first town we lived in was uh, Malton. So when you came down here, you pretty much grew up here. Uh, how was it when you were going to school being a, a sick Canadian with your beard and your turban, you had a, probably a Jura at that time. How, how did, how did uh, the, the kids treat you at school or just in general? So I didn't always have my case, um, but nevertheless, if you're talking about that time period and you know, right behind me is, is a timeline wall. Uh, if we're talking about the 1970s on our timeline wall, in fact, we have a title that says, Hey Packy. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1970s uh, was uh, what we refer to as packy bashing time. And so there wasn't almost a day that wouldn't go by that my family or I did not experience that kind of just open, uh, overt racism going on. And, and the community uh, experienced a lot of physical violence as well. And um, I, I still, when, when, when I'm bringing people here at the museum and we're going around the timeline, I share those experiences by saying, you know, it was a no-win situation. An example would be, uh, da- uh, we're in the car with dad, and, 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 these, and, and you know, when I think about these and I reflect upon these pieces, um, you know, it still brings back some of those traumatic memory pieces itself to remember what those felt like. The car was not a safe place. And you'll say, well, why, party? Because when we got into the car, we went over to the gas station, uh, people would be starting to, to uh, 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 say racial uh, insults to- towards my dad. Now, one of two things can happen, and you're not going to win either battle. If you say nothing, then they feel like, oh, yeah, you know what? He's being meek, and you know what? He's all intimidated. Let's keep this up, and let's ramp it up more, because we're getting no response back, right? Yeah, and yeah. so that means he's intimidated and scared. Yeah. So they ramp it up. If he does decide to say something back, then it becomes confrontational. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to win either which way, right? And we'll drive off, and then all of a sudden they would follow us and start cutting us off and stuff like that. And so yeah. it wasn't an easy time uh, w- when it comes to if we just look purely from a uh, uh, racial identity perspective. Uh, it, w- it was very difficult. And <clears throat> growing up, there were not too many uh, uh, young, uh, sick uh, sadars uh, around as well. And like I said, and that was just even another level. Just being brown was, was challenging enough. Yeah. But then again, um, there was also a, a very large, what I call dense racialized community in Malton as well. Mm-hmm. And so we found our allyship, right? And we found camaraderie amongst other South Asians. Uh, so it wasn't just Sikhs here growing up. There were Hindus, there were Muslims here as well and stuff like that. Uh, the black community as well. And so, and so you find allies as well. And then, and then you also develop other allies. And you know, for me, 
and as a community, one of the things that always allowed me a relative out from some of this, not completely, but some of it, was sports. Because mm -hmm. when you're excelling, you'll, you'll get respect. That's right. absolutely true. It, 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 it's hard to marginalize or disrespect somebody if they're one of the best soccer players or yeah. one of the best basketball players yeah. or whatever, track, runner, whatever it may be, right? And so, and so that almost becomes a relatively speaking equalizer, right? Okay. And um, a lot of us, including myself, excelled uh, at sports. And so, so that was a good uh, place to be able to, you know what, uh, show our muster, so to speak. That's a form of you getting your acceptance everyone cheering for you, knowing that you're good at a sport. Yeah. They don't care what color, on the field, color doesn't matter. Yeah, relatively speaking, because that's why I said, you know, I mean, we know that race, uh, sports is not immune to racism. We, we shared in the intro about boxing and that's a for whole sure. story around that. Sure. Uh, you look at Muhammad Ali and, and uh, winning a medal for his country, but then returning to that country that he won a medal for and can't drink in the same pieces. You look at other athletes who, who are not given opportunities. Mm -hmm right who may be good right so it, it still has its way to creep in because sports itself cannot be immune from this kind of stuff yeah. there's no barrier or wall that you have to go through or around just to get into it right yeah. but it is a heavy quick equalizer as well because when you're the fastest or the best and you're scoring the goals of course like you said they have to cheer for you what were your interests while growing up obviously sports did you have was it just sports 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 or yeah i would say sports 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 uh you know uh besides school um Sports was it, and, and a lot of it was very localized. So there was organized and, and played organized sports itself. But just amongst friends, I mean, we, it was whether we were playing hiding go seek, playing tag, playing frisbee golf, playing road hockey, uh, whatever it may be, everything was just about competition, right? And in fact, in those days, uh, lacrosse used to be the national sport of Canada, yeah, right? Yeah. And I don't want to age myself too much, but you know, we're talking about that time period of growing up. Uh, but the, the, we used to go into the lacrosse course that time and use the lacrosse nets as hockey nets and stuff like that yeah. and the boards and everything, right? Yes, yes. Uh, as outdoor, because a lot of schools, school yards actually had lacrosse courts and stuff, really? right? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and so those became our little hockey rinks and stuff yeah. like that as well, right? And so uh, <clears throat> sports was a lot and we had a good sense of community. Right. And so I remember Malton Festival and other pieces were actively involved and, and it was an emerging growing community as well. And so, you know, there was there was a great library, and community center and a mall and a theater and stuff. And, you know, people were saying, you're from Malton. There used to be a theater there. Yeah. Right. This was a happening town. We actually had a mall in the town and a theater right in the town. And so just think about what Malton is and to have that much going on around it and stuff like that, too. Right. And so so there was a lot to do that way as well. And like I said, um, sports kept me really, really busy. And then um, we had a responsibility to make sure we did well in school. How did you transition from playing all these sports to boxing itself? Well, it's interesting because as an athlete, um, you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm always like to be a student of a game, right? And I never shy away from competition. And um, so even during high school, uh, you know, playing tennis, being tennis champion, stuff like that, winning uh, uh, in our soccer league, uh, winning the championship and stuff like that, uh, ball hockey and stuff like that. If there was an opportunity to compete, we're there. And, um, you know, uh, it's innate in, in, in some of us that we'll compete for anything. If, 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 if you and I had never picked up a ping pong racket, yeah. guess what? And there was, a, there was a table right beside us, let's and the racket there, let's do it. Let's and it's just about bragging rights that, that every time I see you, I'll remind you who's the champion if I beat you, you know what exactly. I mean? And so, 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 so that aspiration towards competition always drew to me sports, but 
from the boxing perspective, mm -hmm. it was a complete opposite. In fact, I, got, uh, I was playing soccer and got injured. And uh, I injured my shoulder. And by the time that I was going to go through to surgery, I had just enrolled with Peel Regional Police. Mm -hmm. And the training was mandatory. So if I missed anything, I would have to come back and reapply and then retrain the through the whole process again. So I took a decision that time to stay in that process and heal my shoulder surgery afterwards. And so I, uh, after that, uh, I decided I'm going to heal it. And so people say, well, then why did you take up or why did you walk into a boxing gym? Exactly. And what people know was two things had happened around that time. Uh, I always really, uh, really thought that, that the physique of a boxer or a gymnast was just phenomenal. The upper body strength of a gymnast. Have you ever watched the Olympics and stuff like that? Yeah. What they can do with their full body and upper body especially, it's yeah. just unbelievable and and then just the fine science of boxing and the physique and the training and endurance and stuff and at that time uh gymnastics probably was not going to be the best uh place for me to to start engaging itself so i went into a boxing gym and the reason i went into a boxing gym was to heal the shoulder and now why because what you, what you might not be aware of is when you're doing a lot of what we call the core boxing exercises like the speed bag and stuff like that, is to work on your shoulders and arms and stuff like that, to strengthen and muscles and stuff like that, right? And so, so those were actually some phenomenally, really good and important exercises for me to build up my strength and, and, and muscle back into my shoulders and stuff like that, to work on that stuff. And naturally, if you're hanging out in a gym, you know you want to enter that ring, right? And so uh, one day, just, just while I was just uh, training, somebody came up to me and they said, hey, you ever going to box? I said, Sure, of course. They said, you know what? You're going to have to shave that. Uh -huh. and, and this is just what they did, just like what I'm doing to you, right? They said, you're going to have to shave that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when they pointed that way, I knew exactly what they're talking about. And I, I still didn't, I, I mean, news to me, right? And so I remember afterwards, I went over to Coach uh, Dwight Fraser, and I said, hey, Dwight, I go, is there any rules against box, uh, beards? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. Let's check, right? Because, you know, no one really even knew if there was or wasn't. I guess somebody kind of knew. We checked the rule book, and there it is. It says, uh, you know, uh, beards are prohibited. Mustache is allowed, must be trimmed, and sideburns are allowed, must be trimmed. But no beards, right? So that was my first obstacle, and in fact, my first fight in boxing, ironically, mm -hmm. was that, and not in the, the ring. Absolutely, yeah. Why is it that you can't keep a beard? Well, it's interesting because the position that they were taking on me was around health and safety. Mm -hmm. And as I researched it, investigated, and I, I, I had already started my professional career and I was actually working uh, with the Region Appeal in public health. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, I asked the Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Peter Cole, and I said, hey, you know, any health and safety issue around the beard? And you know, he goes, no, and this is Medical Officer of Health, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I, the, the more I researched it, um, I realized that it was just arbitrary capricious. And, and by that, I mean that uh, when I'm going to share where, where the origins were of that rule, you'll laugh. Okay. The origins come from the old British King's Order of Rules, yes. and it's strictly related to aesthetics. Yes. How does a boxer present themselves in society? Mm -hmm. And in society, meaning in their sport, in their profession, in the ring. Mm -hmm. And that same rule was set out in so many different facets of society. Police officers, believe it or not, were not allowed to have beards. What was the rule and regulation in, for policing? Mustache is allowed, must be trimmed, sideburns are allowed, must be trimmed, no beards. So you look at all police pictures in the 70s and 80s, that's what you see. Yeah. 
right? And this applied in so many different facets, the exact same rule. Yeah. Had nothing to do with anything else except, except for aesthetics, aesthetics, right? But the position they took was health and safety, and they, they made up arguments for it, mm -hmm. right? And ultimately, the Canadian Amateur Boxing Association looked towards the International Amateur Boxing Association to apply that foundational statement for them to know how they're going to keep me from not competing. And they said that uh, in the event of a clinch, that particles of hair from my beard can cause abrasions to my opponent's cornea. Wow. So in layman terms, it's my beard can scratch my opponent's eye, yeah. period. Right Now, if you look at that from a pragmatic perspective, the first thing I tell people is, look, let's start deconstructing that in of itself. And what's interesting is, before I even go there, by the time I had to actually present it to the Canadian Amateur Boxing Association to table it as a motion at their annual general meeting, I met with one of the representatives just before the meeting was going to start, and I said, hey, so what's going, what's going down? Like, like, what's this about? Right? And they actually switched their position okay. from health and safety. Oh, so now they're switching it. Yeah, and they actually said, it's an unfair advantage for you. And I said, what is? They said, the beard. And I said, what are you talking about? They said, it can cushion the blow. And I said, really? I said, but guess what? That's great news. Because every year you get together as a committee to figure out how are you going to make the sport safer. Okay. Right? Every year. They're, they're all, every year there's a safety committee and they're always looking, can we make the sport safer? What's the size of the gloves? Uh, 14 ounce versus 12 ounce and yeah. headgear, no headgear, time, length of rounds, a whole bunch of things. You know what I mean? And so why don't you, if it makes the sport safer, implement a rule to say all boxers must have beards, <laughs> including female boxers, because women, women are allowed to box as well, okay? I don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And then once I presented that, they said, no, 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 no. And then they flipped it back, and they came back again with that health and safety argument. Mm -hmm. So let's look at this piece for a sec. So let's deconstruct it. What are they worried about? They're worried about my beard scratching my opponent's eyes. Let's leave me out of the picture. I know to our viewers who are looking at me, and I know I'm looking good with a beard and stuff, and uh, Sikhs, we, we swag this look anyway, you know what I mean, right? It's always in fashion for us, right? But <clears throat> leave me as hairless, and let's say somebody else is my opponent. Now, if you just put your hands right here on the face, okay. right, what do you feel there? My eyelashes. And? Eyebrow. Right? Because we're talking about hair right now. Yeah. And so, so if I'm going to punch... Here's, here's, here's my fist coming towards you. What has a better chance of getting in your eyes? Your eyelashes or eyebrows, because that's a point of contact I'm looking for, or, or this hair, okay? Definitely. Right? The other piece then they said was, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, it may be difficult to ascertain a cut if you get. I said, really? I said, look, your average human being has hair on their head. And if they fall or get cut, where do they go? They're going to go to the hospital or the doctor, and guess what? These are medically trained professionals, and they can figure it out. You know when I'm saying it's hurting here? Mm -hmm. It's hurting here. If I feel a cut here, the cut is here. It's not over here, right? It, it, this, is, this is just very simple logic, right? Yeah. And here's the other piece of it. In fact, if I ever get cut, the best place for me to be is in a boxing ring, because what you might not know is every single boxing match must have, as a rule, a doctor at ringside. Yes. So I don't even have to travel or go in, in any ambulance or do anything. The doctor's right there to, 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 to assist, yeah, right? They always check right? it out. Even and, and check it out and stuff. And so then that, so, so I'm debunking that as well. Yeah. And then I said, look, another piece is, <clears throat> for the boxing gloves, they come up to here, 
and on my forearm, I still have hair. Now, I think I'm a good boxer, but once in a while I might miss a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, again, if I'm like this and I missed, and this rubs right across your eyes, what has a better chance of getting in your eyes? This or this hair? Of course, forearm. Okay? And they don't say, I need to be shaven or all box must be shaven over the arms, right? Mm -hmm. And then you just look at what are they talking about? They're talking about a clinch? Number one, one of the rules that you'll learn in the boxing club that the coach will say is you keep your hands up and your chin in. Tuck it in, they say. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not going, you're you're not not going, going up boxing like this, right? Because you're going to be over here, I'm going to be on yeah, the ground, right? On the right? Right? And, and, if he's and then the other piece is, what are we talking about? We're talking about boxing. Yeah. Clenching is not even part of the sport. Yeah. Either is biting. Ask Mike Tyson, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's not part of the sport here, right? So, so when we look at it from the concept of uh, uh, clinch, penalize me for clinching because it's not part of the sport, right? But then let's take another aspect on this then. Let's look at a sport where the whole purpose is to clinch, mm -hmm. wrestling. Yes. And guess what? Wrestling's rules are full beards. Wow. In fact, they don't actually want you to have a small beard and, uh, and, and stubble because they know, think it's a little bit sharper and rough. They say full beards. Okay. Okay? And even today, for all, for all that went down when, when that issue broke in 1999-2000 for the Sydney Olympics qualification tournament and the racism and the visceral response of the public, and now it's even worse. And people say, well, how is it worse now? It's because, you see, me and you might be talking about it and you might say something. And it stays between us. Or two friends are just talking about it and they say it and it leaves there. I don't need to have friends around. I can just go on the internet right now and spew it to thousands or I can text and Instagram it. Media. And social media becomes a different tool mechanism in terms of where and how things are, uh, go out there. And it's interesting because as part of the trailer, there's a clear piece there in the trailer where it says, you know, this is not about race or religion. This is about uh, health and safety. And everybody's saying, yeah, why does this guy want to box about health and safety? And I'm laughing because if you take just a simple step back like we've been doing right now to deconstruct it, Every single mixed martial art and combat sport allows beards, including boxing. When McGregor just fought uh, uh, Mayweather, he had a beard. Had a beard. Okay, yeah. in professional boxing. Okay, MMA, wrestling, judo, they all allow it. Yeah. It's only the amateur boxing right now that's still, you know what I mean? That's, that's Not trying true. to be progressive enough. Even when we told them that, that it's arbitrary, this, when this came in, it had nothing to do with it. You created this randomness on this, right? And this is the challenge we sometimes have that people cannot step back for a sec to even say, what's more dangerous, my fist or my hair on my beard in, in the sport of boxing? You know what I mean? Like, right? And so, and so this is also important as part of the narrative for people to know because, you know, yeah, they, they'll use these nuances. It had nothing to do, it never has, never will, and doesn't in any other sport. So what's the issue here, right? So, um, so that's just that part of the story. And I mean, we could probably talk for days in terms of how it all unfolded, but it, it, was, it was crazy times. Uh, there was a heavily uh, uh, financial burden as well because it was a big legal case that we had to fight as well. Uh, my life was threatened as well. Um, and so a lot went down, a lot went on. And it was uh, international in terms of news and scope at that time. Uh, national for sure. Every single paper and, and radio and TV had picked it up. And then it's always, always carried a life of its own, but I've always seen it as a responsibility. Because we can be on TV for bad stuff as well. Yes. And when you go through a narrative like this, you, you are representing not only just your community, 
but, but, but Canada as well. And we want Canada to be able to hold up to its values that it, it, it claims to be. Right. And so so when I was going through this ordeal as well, I've always seen it as a responsibility. And ever since that, I've still seen it as a responsibility. The movie I see as a responsibility. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we can sit here and joke around and say, hey, party, how cool movie about you from Malton to Hollywood. And we give each <laughs> other a prop. You know what I mean? And saying, yeah, this is our story, man. I want you to be as proud as I am proud because this, this is this is our story. Yeah. I am you. You are me kind of piece itself, exactly. man. Right. Exactly. Right. But. Uh, you know, when you look at the totality of it, I see it more as a responsibility. Uh, that's a layer and a narrative because uh, uh, the movie industry uh, defines uh, pop culture mm-hmm. and narratives as well. And so, so that's a step for us for the first time to have a Hollywood movie with a lead character who's a sick mm-hmm. and the lead story is sick. Exactly. And, and so, so we have to be able to embrace and understand this as a community that we better step up because this is the first time we're stepping up in Hollywood yeah. this way. And we have to show Hollywood uh, that, that, that there's a substance to this community and there's a substance to us as Americans, as Canadians, as who we are. It's a big deal. Like you're, you're yeah. having a bearded turban man on a Hollywood stage. For sure, for sure. And, and that's, that's why I see this as a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you know, we can joke here around that stuff. We can talk about uh, me being on uh, cover of history textbooks, me being part of pop culture with Trivia Pursuit Trivia question. Pursuit. Uh, there's another book called uh, A Thousand uh, Beards, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the Cultural History of Facial Hair, yeah. right? It has my story in there and in a lot of other places as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always seen those things as responsibilities, right? Uh, that if we're going to present ourselves or we're going to be in public, let's put our best foot forward and let's always carry ourselves with the highest dignity expected of us by ourselves and our faith, mm-hmm. right? And, and so that's, that's, that's what I've always expected of myself anyway as part of this piece. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people believe that in order to achieve their dreams, they have to either change their identity or give up their identity but you actually embraced it. You're like, I'm not changing. I'm gonna do it how I am, and this is what it is. So how do you think a beard can help somebody rather than hurt them? In fact, you know, it's interesting because the beard, and you and I are talking right now, because for us, it's an article of faith, mm-hmm. right? And, and unshorn hair, right? And, and we have other articles of faith as well, and then we have what we call the, the stad and the turban uh, on as part of our identity. And you know, it's interesting because when you're talking about these pieces, uh, <clears throat> this gives us, and the purpose of it was, if you, if you look at from, from uh, our, our gurus, teachers, right? You remember that Guru Gobind Singh had said that in a crowd of a million, I want to be able to identify uh, my follower. And what's interesting, and I'll share just an interesting narrative. One of my first marathons I ever ran was the Walt Disney World Marathon. Okay. A colleague of mine had said, oh yeah, there's a friend of mine that's running it too. So there's about 30 to 50,000 pe- people that run this one. It actually starts on the highway that's coming into the Disney Resort and stuff okay. like that. So we're, we're, we're there to pick up our kits. So there's thousands of people picking up your race kits with your bib number and stuff like that. Yeah. And somebody comes up to me and I said, hey, are you party? I looked around and said, yeah. And uh, they said, yeah, so-and-so told me. And I said, how do you? And then I realized, forget about how you. Yeah, if they told them it's a Sikh gentleman and stuff like that, because I looked around at another 30,000, I don't think there was another single thing there, exactly. right? And so, so this is how we can even represent when we're underrepresented. 
one in 30,000, I can still represent. You stand out. You stand out. But there was a purpose for standing out. Mm -hmm. And the purpose was accountability. 100%. Because when I want to be able to define my followers, when Guru Gobind Singh said was, what he was really saying was, I want to be able to hold my followers accountable. You see, if I meet you, and there's no visible outwardly marker for me to identify your creed or your atheist belief or what have you, then I will have to speak to you and negotiate and find out where you stand on issues. And that takes too long. But if I see you and something's up, I can actually just hold you public and say, hey, why weren't you there? Hey, why haven't you stood up? Hey, how come I haven't seen you doing? Mm -hmm. Holds you publicly accountable. Let's, let's take another metaphor uh, piece on this. So I'm sitting in front of you like this. I know differently from a sick to sick perspective, you might think I'm there. But let's just say something's happening right now at the museum where you start getting physically assaulted, yeah. right? And we look right over out there at the door and you see somebody walking by and, and you're getting assaulted. Let, let's just say it's between us two, me versus you, and I'm assaulting you. Okay. And you see somebody walking by yeah. and I'm on top of you and you looked and they looked at you and they seen you down and they, seen you up and they just walked by. You said, oh my God, there was my chance I almost had, but hell, who knows, maybe party will take him down as well and put us both down or something like that, right? But if that same person is walking by and has a police uniform on mm -hmm. and continues to walk by, you would be pissed. Yeah. And, and when you get your senses after me assaulting you, you're going to challenge. You're going to go to the police station. You're going to find out which officer walked by. Why did the officer by? But what changed? Because it was the same person walking by. Yeah. What, what changed is the uniform. the uniform that somewhere in your life you learned that that identity, you can hold them publicly accountable to do what? To serve and to protect. Mm -hmm. And guess literally what oath we as Sikhs take? What is our oath? Serve and protect. Serve and protect. Because remember, one of our articles of faith is a kirpan. Okay, and 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 in society for protection, that uh, um, in order to protect, you have to have something above the lay person. Yes. And so, us having a karpan is above a lay person having nothing. Now, that holds us more publicly criminally responsible too if we use it in a way that's not supposed to. But remember, any human being can do anything as self-defense as well. So you can use a baseball bat or anything else in self-defense or wherever you need to do to stop a crime, a criminal offense from happening. Mm -hmm. But this is our uniform, mm -hmm. you see? And the beauty is there's no shift work for us. Yeah. <laughs> we don't take it off, right? And so when, you, when, you're, when you're talking, and this started with this concept of the beard and how can this be, I look at, the, at this as a totality. And it's interesting because people sometimes will say, oh my God, and your religion forces you, requires you. And I said, requires? I mean, I'm enjoying this. I mean, just before this, uh, off, off the air, so to speak, uh, we were bantering about New Jersey Devils and then Maple Leafs, right? And, you know, you, you're, you hated this team because, you know, they were doing well, right? But, you know, what's interesting is that uh, this identity gives me a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, uh, a commitment to excellence, holds me accountable, and so why wouldn't I want this? Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, then, and, 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 and just like, you know, if, if you put on a leaf uniform and you're going to cheer and another leaf will say, yay, leafy, right? And all that kind of stuff, right? It gives you a sense of purpose, a sense of, of team, a sense of, right? And this team is what we call the Khalsa Order kind of team. You know what I mean? Right? Mm -hmm. And, and so, so it gives you a sense of community as well, mm -hmm. right? And it holds me publicly accountable as well, mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, because people are saying, oh my God, and... You know, that identity and, 
you know, backwards. And I'm going, no, man. And they go, you know, you can't have fun. Fun? I have too much fun. I actually got to slow myself down, right? And then let's take it even one step just a little bit further, if you don't mind, as part of this conversation. Let's look at other aspects as part of it and how this connects out. So there's other elements that we're not supposed to, as part of our responsibility, engage. And, and let's see how this holds uh, through this metaphor that I've just started with this around to serve or protect. Alcohol. And said, oh, you're not allowed to drink, buddy? <laughs> oh, I, I can drink. Mm-hmm. I can drink milk. I can drink water. I can drink lots of things. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol. I, but why? Because it's an intoxicant, right? In its principle. And, and, and it can cause intoxication. So if I just told you and you believe and you agree that, that my responsibility of the sick is to serve and protect, can an officer say, I'm going to go and drink or be drunk on the job or before I go? Definitely not. Can, can, can she say, it's going to be a slow day? Because you don't know when that call is going to come, if it's going to come. If someone says, you know what, I just drink at home at night at 10 o'clock and I go to bed and I'm plastered. I don't interfere with it. No, no, no. Because what happens if the call comes at 2 in the morning? Somebody knocks on your door that was just assaulted in your neighborhood. I can be a hard sleeper, but also wake up and I'm present available to serve and protect. Being plastered in my own house at 2 o'clock in the morning doesn't allow me to fulfill that obligation because you never know when it's going to come. Absolutely. You've got to be ready at all times. Ready at all times, so to speak. In terms of your, 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 your presence, your mind should always be present, right? And, I mean, we can go on from a theological perspective and pr- practical piece as well around faith, just like the boxing piece and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think that helps give a little bit of that narrative that being a sick and holding this identity in fact, doesn't hinder, enhances my capacity uh, in society, in life, and in every facet of life. There hasn't been a place. And if or where that happens, we can negotiate, manage, happen in boxing, happen in policing, and stuff like that. But we'll figure it out. Now that we are talking about the beards and standing out, you know, you came here when you were three years old. I was born here. I have friends in America that are born in America. We're Canadians. We, you know, we call ourselves Canadian or American, but still people look at us like foreigners. Yeah. Why, why is it so challenging for us to fight and, and be like, you know, I am Canadian. You know, I represent what Canada is. Because what you might not know, that's what I do professionally. So my job at the Toronto School Board, I'm manager of employment equity, diversity, inclusion, equity is what I, so what you're talking about is what we call identity politics. Mm-hmm. So let me, and, and, and you know, I, and as a father and, and a father to, to two wonderful children, Nanaki and Saib, uh, those, I have those challenges. Saib's been hit with those challenges yeah. because I don't want to put a bubble wrap around my son. Yeah. Uh, resiliency is important and you have to go through some of those pieces to develop courage and, and overcome things as well. But I also don't need him to go through the crap Either that's not needed because it can crash him as well, possibly. Right. So I try to uh, uh, give some tools as a father to him around some of these pieces. Why do you have that on your head? Because he just wears a Judah top knot kind of piece itself right now. Eh, Because I'm a sick, you know, keep it simple and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, guess what happens? Uh, He's just waiting in the hallway uh, to go and play some rec basketball. And a young kid says, why do you have that on the head? And he says, "Uh, because... Uh, I'm a Sikh. It's my religion. And, and the kid turns back to him and says, but we're Canadian. Because somehow con- conflating that piece. Mm-hmm. Now watch this. If, if I'm walking down the street or my son's walking down the street, your average person, when I'm walking the street and you say, hey, who is that guy? 
well, if we're talking about identity, they will say an Indian guy versus a Canadian guy. Because like you said, you're born here, yeah. right? Canadian, right? Yeah. And even me, I define myself as a Canadian, yeah. right? I have a heritage, a lineage, even a birthplace piece itself, and I respect it all, right? So here becomes the issue. At what day, because I do presentations as part of Dominion Student, I do a lot of speaker series, and one, uh, I'm actually featured on the Great Ten Canadian History textbook on the front cover of one yeah, of them. Yeah. And I'll go and ask grade 10 history class. So remember where we are now. We're not even talking about grade, uh, uh, six-year-old grade one and stuff where my, my, where my son is having some of these dilemmas and stuff like that. Because in fact, just recently, uh, one of the kids in class was asking about India and the Taj Mahal. What does Saib know? He's never been there. He may, he may not. He may live in Hong Kong, may live in the U.S., may never move anywhere and just live right here. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing Indian about Saib per se in terms of who he is, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, that's what somebody in those small grades can already socialize and social markers and label onto Saib, mm -hmm. right? And so then when I asked them, I said, for example, do Canadians wear turbans? And they go, no. And I said, wow. Then I, I can never be Canadian in your eyes. How you being born here can be Canadian because they don't see that Canadians wear turbans. And I say, let me try shaking up your world a little bit. Canadians do wear turbans. So do Americans and British people because I have American friends. You were just talking about American friends. Mm -hmm. um, Right? And so the language we use and how we frame it starts having one of the implications itself. Okay? Right? Because even us as a community, do we walk around saying we're a pioneer settler community here? Because again, if you look around this timeline and you look at the boards around 1900s, forget about near York University here in Black Creek Pioneer Village from the 1930s. I got pictures of us working on the railways in the 1910s and 1908, right? Lumber mills and all that. We're pioneers. Yeah. We're not immigrants. Right? We're a pioneer community and anybody's come as just a newcomer and a new migrant. But we're pioneers. We have a heritage and history actually in Canada a over a hundred years. Right? We're wearing the poppies. Same piece. There are people that are going to be wearing this in November, fellow Canadians that don't know that we even served in World War I and II. Mm -hmm. And then when I tell them, serve, I got a better story. Guess when we served? We served and arrived in 1914. In September, before Canada as a country entered the war in 1915. Mm -hmm. So even as Canadians, this should mean more to us because we arrived there. People who look like us. Yeah. Okay? And so part of the storytelling and narratives in this identity piece, because I remember even at the museum one time, there was a visitor from the U.S., a white lady. Mm -hmm. And we we're just talking about some of these pieces. Because I remember I did a presentation at Mount Royal University, and I started off, it was kind of 150, and I said, you know what, I first want to start this exhibit off by acknowledging the indigenous lands uh, that were here. And even for us today, you know, we should be aware that we're engaging this conversation. The Security Museum is on indigenous lands here in Canada, right? And so equally, he said, you know, it's interesting you see that, because when I look at uh, that, you know, I wouldn't first think that, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, but here's the difference, because uh, we were talking about these pieces around identity. He goes... He goes, I paid $50 to get my Canadian. And I said, yeah, and people are going to see you as more Canadian than me, mm -hmm. right? And, and then I said, but here's how scary this is. The white American that came here, the lady, I said, if we're to walk the streets of Toronto downtown and say who's Canadian, they'll see you as Canadian, not me. And you're, you're even a visitor. And you're a visitor, yeah. right? And so, and so what does this look like and how does this get framed is that we have to understand, and, and we have a little part to play in this as well, because as much as we are driving our narrative, if there's an event, what do we give them? 
we give them uh, something of the Golden Temple or something like that to always other us and put us over there, where we have a long history here, and you can give them the book on desirables, you can give them the hundred year journey. There's a lot of things that we can present to people here to define our piece, piece around here, right? Because like you said, the challenge that we have around this piece, and that was an interesting piece around the movie when people are gonna have a chance to see the movie piece itself, is they're gonna see that, that this character can be just as much an Australian as they can be a Canadian, they can be American or British, because that's who we are, mm -hmm. right? And so, so these, these are stepping stones, and this is why I said why that movie's significant. And the other piece, when our prime minister came to the security museum, it was interesting, because we have a card that says, how was your visit? And he said, you know, thank you uh, for all the hard work that went to showcasing the story of Canada, was in, uh, the, the, the sixth story, uh, in Can uh, which is just, in fact, the story of Canada. And that's why I've always said that what you're seeing behind me, mm -hmm. this is not Sikh her heritage. This is Canadian history through a Sikh lens. Mm -hmm. Right? And, 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 and so I'll tell you, I just worked with the Ministry of Education for a year mm -hmm. on curriculum resources. And I'll tell you that that was my driving force. Because I said, we need to make it to a point when someone sees my son sidewalking the street, they say, there's a Canadian boy. Right. And and I was so nuanced about it that that when I was looking for characters that I want to create, uh, because I want to create this early reinforcement and positive identity around turbans and people who look like us early in the curriculum, that that picture that you're going to show me of a, of, of, of a five year old sick boy or, or a sick girl. I don't need them wearing a savar kameej and korta pajama or doing this kind of stuff because <laughs> my kids don't go to school with, with korta pajama. Nothing wrong with those pieces itself. But guess what? Saib with a judah or Saib with a patka and has a basketball or soccer player, every kid's going to connect right away. Because yes. the narrative, that's just part of the identity and the great soccer player, or that's cool because I play soccer too and this character is cool. Yeah. Right? And just like in my movie, because you know, sometimes I get people saying, oh, you know, uh, do you think we could have used this to teach people who Sikhs are? I said, we, we never preach, we never have in our history. Our actions and deeds, truth is high, higher still is truth for living. Our actions and deeds is our preaching. Mm -hmm. No one needs to know who our 10 gurus are. No one needs to put them in order. No one needs to know three pillars of Sikhism. Nobody. Mm -hmm. They just need to know that when they look at somebody like you, they have an honest person in front of them. They have somebody who will serve. They will have somebody who will protect. They will have a humble person. That's our actions and deeds. That's what speaks of who we are. And when we function that way, when we act that way, that's, that speaks for itself. That speaks for itself, exactly. That speaks for itself. You gotta walk the walk. Right? Not just talk Right? And, and, and so for us, um, around these identity politics, it's so nuanced for me, because exactly that dilemma you're saying, that that's exactly what I'm working on. And hopefully as part of this conversation, people are going to get a greater understanding of what does it mean and how do you define this and how, what kind of language are you articulating to frame yourself? Because I will always say, you know, as, as a fellow Canadian, as a Canadian, right? Because my Sikhis, it's here. Look, it's right here. It's not going anywhere. That's always present. Because here's, here's the th piece. No one's ever confused Saib to be Jewish. Or Hindu or Muslim. So, so, so that's not where the confusion is. We're on his identity. So they actually know his identity, yeah. but it's that other variation that somehow being a Sikh is not congruent with being Canadian. Where I'm going, but how about a Jew and Canadian, a Christian and Canadian, an indigenous and a Canadian, mm -hmm. black and Canadian? Do you understand? Uh, 
right? And, and, so, and so, so this is that piece where we're trying to get to and sharing our history and our heritage, mm -hmm. right? Remembrance Day, pioneer stories and other pieces, right? Lots of great stories. Exactly, like Remembrance Day, people, people don't even know that we served before, before 1914, but 1914 is when we came, right? No, we came, we came actually in 1888. Uh, to, 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 to Canada, to, to but, but serve in the war, absolutely, 1914, war, right? September, September, then, yeah. You know, Remembrance Day is just around the corner, November 11th, yeah. and it's, uh, it marks 100 years since 1918. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, we got this beautiful uh, commemorative uh, postcard and a poster that matches this piece, and uh, we're using V, because uh, there's three layers of the V we're using, and one is V for victory, and on the postcard, it's hard because uh, uh, we have a very commemorative postcard uh, that, that, that we've used uh, what we call uh, embossing uh, on here. Uh, but we have V for victory, V for valor, and V from where these guys came, the five rivers, Punjab, right? Yeah. And um, what's interesting is uh, there were Sikhs that also fought for Canada as well. And we have letters from private uh, Wariam Singh. Right, and I want young kids to. I mean, you know, we've seen films from the U.S. like Saving Private Ryan and all that kind of stuff. And I want a young kid to go and read a letter from World War One that says Private Singh, right, and Canadian, right. Or if you're drawing a picture of of a headstone, uh, people don't know, but the very first Sikh out of the group of Sikhs that fought for Canada, the first one of them that died, his headstone has Gurmukhi written on it. Right? From World War I. And then we also have this other narrative, sometimes even within our own community, that's pushing us back to trying to celebrate this. Because they said, hey, party, weren't we slaves? Remember, we were slaves of British. They go, oh my God, who are you talking about? Sikhs? Sikhs never have and never will be slaves of anybody. We're actually sovereign people. Not only are we sovereign as a community and as a faith and as a people and as a qom, we're actually sovereign even in terms of gender, Singh and core. And guess what? Every single Sikh soldier to the last, and they fought in the hundreds of thousands in the wars. Their last act was to sign the attestation paper. And guess what? Every single one of them did, even when the ones who fought for Canada, British India, Australia and stuff. And we know there are other goats, mm -hmm. just like I'm using Pradeep Singh Nagra, you know, technically should just use, use Pradeep Singh, right? We know their surnames. Every single one of them just used Singh because they went out as sovereign. Sovereign, okay? The duty, Sikhs never shy away from their duty. The Gurus never died, uh, shied away from their duty, even if it's to protect another faith and they died. A faith that we might not believe in the practices of, that we denounce, but they have a right to practice it and we'll defend that right, right? And so this is how intense. And then, then you look at another article of faith. I laugh with people because I say, you're talking about this and you're talking about turban and the RCMP role and just other things and the helmet and motorcycles. Listen, if World War I was so brutal and so vicious, you know the lesson that the Sikhs learned in World War I? Was that we keep our turbans on and we're going to go into World War II the same way. Exactly. Okay? And so, and we have stories of British officers donning turbans as well saying, we don't know where you get your courage or anything else from, but if we're going to get even an iota of that, 
count me in. I'll put that turban on. And if it's, and you know, I, I, I sometimes equate it to, you've seen in our community some people that don't have their case and stuff, but uh, for the men, when they're going to get married, they'll, they'll keep their case. They put their plug on, and guess what? Their chest is a little bit out. Their walk and door is a little bit, you know, swagger. They're representing the crown. They're representing, and they just feel a little bit different. And, and it's that same piece there, right, that, that, that can get there. And, you know, we have a great image from World War II. Uh, of, of a magazine cover and, and it has a sick in action and I always tell people I go look at that we're in the middle of battle you can see each lot on the bug and he has his mustache maraud and I said we swagged even in the middle of a, of a battle but then you go back and you look at our history from our gurus you think we're going to shy away from battle no the battle of life or the battle for, for justice is the same battle and what do we do with smiles Smile we go in right Ready. Right? Ready. Right? So, so you know, these are also important narratives as a part of these pieces. You know, we, we are, are going to be, uh, we're recording this today and, and tomorrow. Uh, we're hosting a Remembrance Day at Scarborough Gudwara. And it's the second time we're doing this because two years ago, for the first time in Canadian history, and maybe even world history, uh, uh, an army regiment held their annual Remembrance Day service uh, in a Gudwara because they traditionally hold it in churches. And they had such a positive experience that they want to do this now biannually. Wow. And what's interesting is, when we held that, we took some artifacts and have a beautiful picture from World War I where there's a Sikh soldier guarding a religious Christian service that's going on, a church service. Mm -hmm. Right? It says, peace in the midst of war. And then it talks about that article piece itself, right? And equally, we have images of, of six carrying the Guru Granth Sahib and then them having a divan in the desert or, or doing kirtan and stuff like that. And just think how, how important faith was always in, in good times and bad times, in difficult times, uh, uh, when, when there's nothing around. Where do they get their resolve, their inspiration? Where do they get their courage? Where they can get their solace even sometimes when you just need that piece itself? was always can be found in the Guru Granth Sahib and it was never far away from them. And so those are lessons learned because I said, if they had time for the Guru Granth Sahib during the war, mm -hmm. what's your excuse for not having time for the Guru Granth Sahib today? Absolutely. <laughs> right? No right? So you can even look at those layers for us when we're exhibiting this kind of stuff um, and all the connections and all the history. I mean, I'll tell you a fascinating story of, uh, of a connection with the war. If I tell you the story of Hardik Singh Malik, and his, in his book, A Little Work, A Little Play, the forward of his book, this is what it says in part of it. It says, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to write the forward to the memoirs of an old and valued friend, H.S. Mollick. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. My friendship with the author goes back many years. First, we're both officers in the role of flying corps, in which he served with such distinction. Later, we found ourselves as students together at Oxford University. And then they're musing about sports and stuff. Do you know who his best friend and fellow pilot was? Lester B. Pearson. That's right here. Okay. Growing up in Malton, I lived on Victory Crescent. Yeah. There's another street that intersects it, Churchill. Mm -hmm. What you might not know is that Churchill started, and he's known as, a, I mean, there was the darkest hour, and he's known as the military strategist, right, strategist. And what's interesting is uh, he started his military career off in 1897 in a Sikh regiment. Okay, so there's so many neat stories and stuff like that, even that you're learning here as part of this piece, right? Yeah. So can you imagine that these should be the information we should uh, uh, embrace ourselves with because these become our water cooler talks now. Mm -hmm. This right? Honestly, everybody needs to know this, especially right? like if you're sick 
Oh, absolutely. You know, this is this 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 our our, our, our our history. And guess what? No one else is going to take care of our history and our heritage and our lineage and our artifacts and stuff like that. And the minute we don't do it, one of two things is going to happen. Either no one's going to tell a story or someone else is going to tell it through their lens. Okay? So that's another important narrative as part of these pieces, right? Like if you look at the Victory Parade picture we had this year that we created, and we didn't create because it was an actual picture, but we blew it up. Beautiful Sikhs marching in the Victory Parade and stuff like that, right? And in fact, it comes from a quote from Ferdinand Foch when he was dedicating the Nouvelle Chapelle Memorial to the, the, uh, the British Indian soldiers. And he said, go back to your sunbathed land and let your countrymen know how their blood soaked the fields of Flanders and France. And you know, in Canada, Flanders is everything for us. It's the poem we read and stuff like that. It's on our, uh, our money and everything. And he says, and he continues in that. And he says, uh, and, and you know, we'll guard your uh, graves with the respect due to all soldiers. And above all, we'll remember your example. You took the first steps to the final you, you, you took the first steps to the final victory, right? You showed us the way. You took the first steps to the final victory. Wow. Okay? That's amazing. That's us. That's who they're speaking of. Right? And so that's why these types of narratives are fundamentally important for us to know, be aware, and educate ourselves as well. Right? And so, yeah. Let's talk about the movie Tiger. That's coming out November 30th. You got some big name actors up in there. We got Mickey Rourke, Prem Singh, and uh, uh, Janelle Parrish. Janelle Parrish from Pretty Little Pretty Liars and Liars. stuff like that, yeah. This isn't a small deal. This is, this is a big deal right yeah. here. Yeah. And it's not every day that you find an inspirational movie. Speak a little bit about that. How, how were you guys able to develop this movie? Well, I can't take the credit. And I won't take the credit. The only thing I'll take credit for is I lived the story. Okay, that was my responsibility, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, I stood up when, when I should have, and, and I fulfilled my duty, obligation, responsibility, fudge, as we say. Mm -hmm. But, <clears throat> you know, I shared that um, part of history textbooks. It, it was international news, across news. So my story uh, was already a public story. But there were a lot of people that were inspired by it or intrigued by it, um, motivated by it. Um, equally, just like when Baltej Singh... Uh, was fighting to have the tur uh, wear a turban in the RCMP. I was just equally intrigued in the 1990s, going to watch CBC and watching his interview and just just being glued there, mm -hmm. right? And being inspired by how he spoke and how he carried himself and then winning that victory and stuff like that, right? And so equally, over the years, there's been a number of different people interested uh, in, in, in uh, possibly creating a movie about the... Uh, my boxing story and experience, he right? Really, really right, well, yeah, right? And, and, and so it was not something I was personally going to write a script of myself and try creating a movie. And so, you know, when I was approached by Prim, I said, Prim, thank you for sharing that you want to, and good luck. And let me know if I can help you in any way. And the reason being is because I didn't want to define that inspiration for somebody. I don't want to say, no, 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 let me see the script. Let me see the story. No, this is what you should be noticing. This is what you should highlight. No, you're the storyteller now. And I'm confident enough in terms of what I lived that any story coming out of it is going to be good. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because, you know, when, when truth is truth, someone wants to tell a story on truth, what are they going to do? Tell truth. Yeah. Right? And, and, and so, so uh, my story 
whatever, how when somebody wants to share it and explain it and write about it, talk about it, make a play on it, whatever, can only be about my story, right? And I've lived that experience. And so you do you kind of business. And from one thing to another, from the script piece to this, and then it takes so many layers and, you know, they have to have somebody else on board. And then there's another piece that they say, okay, do you have a director on board? We need a director committed before we can move to this level, to that level. We need this much financing stuff because there's millions of dollars that was invested in this, right? And, and, and I'm disappointed to say that there's no support from the Sikh community uh, related to this movie whatsoever leading up to this. Uh, in terms of uh, pieces, yes, we, we, we showed at, at a Sikh film festival, but that's for us. And, and so that was a mutual benefit piece itself. But take that piece out of there, right? And I'm hoping the least we can do right now for everything we talked about, how big this is, not just because it's featuring me, but how big it is for the community or us as Canadians or Americans or anything as part of our identity piece, is at least support the movie. To go and see it, to show Hollywood we're present. And there's a community uh, you should be representing because we're here. We're American, we're Canadian, we're British, right? And so from that perspective, the hard work into R3M Productions and Running Tiger Films and uh, Mike Pugliese and Rocco Pugliese and, and the whole family and, and other people uh, uh, from, 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 from New York and, and other places that help put this together, I mean, I'm just giving my thanks. Right? I'm just giving my thanks uh, to all these different individuals that have been involved to make this uh, story come to fruition. Uh, because, like I said, we haven't done it ourselves. Uh, we haven't been able to tell that story like that on ourselves. And um, for them to step up and, and, and invest in the project, believe in the project, support the project, and run with it right now. I mean, uh, just three weeks ago, it won Best Feature Film at the San Diego Film Festival. Okay, and because of that, the week after then, New Orleans then uh, put it as a spotlight film where they only choose a handful out of hundreds that they get yeah. that are going to be featured. Then the week after that, Austin uh, uh, had it as red carpet, right? And then uh, just two days ago, uh, we got our very first review. Uh, uh, Hollywood North magazine gave it a 9.5 out of 10. And the write-up of it, Forget about teary-eyed, it'll make us. It made the person teary-eyed, right? And so this is how powerful it is. This is how it connects. This is a, how this identity connects. Just like if you look from a cultural perspective, right, of why somebody from another faith would raise their firstborn if it was a male as a sick, what connected was our actions and deeds they connected on, right? Not the body. They didn't say, you guys have great theology, great body. It was our actions and deeds. And so the actions that I engaged in to compete, to fight against uh, what was put before me is what people connect with. It's my actions they're going to connect with. It right? all comes back to accountability and representation. Right? Right, and responsibility. And so, big film, but it's a responsibility. So when we're talking here, it's, the film is separate. Mm -hmm. It's about the responsibility of us now related to that film. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to look at. That's what we have to look ourselves in the eyes and say, so what am I going to do about it? Who am I going to share it with? And I say use every single uh, social uh, media platform, platform, media available to you. Not even just social media. Call up people. Mm -hmm. Talk to people. Uh, twist some arms. Call your friends. Call your neighbors. Tell coworkers. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, uh, do uh, uh, grilla pieces. To, to, you know, you're putting in gas and say, hey, do you hear about this movie coming out? You got to come and see it, man. Yeah. I, I know the person or I interview the person or it's a great story. You got to see it, right? Yeah. Um, use have <laughs> Yeah, have a beer, right? You want to know what right? this is? <laughs> right? Um, 
Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, uh, email. We have email lists. Uh, we're either part of organizations or groups. Use those pieces. Use everything in our toolbox to be able to bring people out to see it because it's not necessarily about us. It's what they're going to experience if they see this. Mm-hmm. That I know that, 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 that they, they will actually benefit and get something out of it. Right, just like all the volunteer work and stuff that I do, I always tell people, in fact, I think I've benefited more than anything I've ever given. I've grew as a person and it's always made me better. I, I don't use the word seva in any other context. There's no concept of seva da'arth. There's no concept of gudora seva. The gudora is, is our place of worship. If I came to your house and you're gonna uh, uh, serve me dinner or just even give me some snacks, and then you're gonna go and, and wash the dishes after whatever like that, Right? That's not seva. That's just your responsibility. It's hospitality because I'm at your house. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think the good one is? It's our house. It's our house of God. I see what you're saying. Seva is not what happens inside those walls. That's our hospitality. That's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay? Service and seva is what is being done outside those walls for the greater good of others and humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's why when we're having our nangar kitin, that's not seva dars. That's our responsibility. That's our Nangar Kitan, and we just have volunteers working there just to hold traffic or uh, help people around and stuff like that. So let's, let's not dilute the beauty of what the true spirit of some of these words and purposes and meanings and responsibility behind these pieces, Absolutely. right? Because that's, that's where you see that. That's where you see that. Giving up your time, your energy, your resources for the benefit of others, mm-hmm. right? Right? And to improve the lot of others. What type of advice would you give to the youth right now? Uh, someone that is thinking about keeping a beard or a turban or someone that, that just recently started keeping a beard or a turban and doesn't really know what to expect. Yeah, and so I just don't want to hold it because it, it's been, it feels to me anyway as male, heavily male-dominated right now when we're talking about beards and turbans. And not to say the females can't yeah, have beards. We and we have uh, some uh, cores that, that, that are keeping their facial hair as, as part of it as well and some not to. And Absolutely. that's not what the conversation here directly is about, that aspect. But the aspect of, I would just say, sick identity. And, and I would say... Um, why not? I'll say, go for it. I mean, I, I'll be inspired by anybody even contemplating because I say, forget the contemplation. You know, just like sometimes when people are saying, party, you know, I'm here and I need to find myself. There's nothing to find in Sikhi. Sikhi is to live. Mm-hmm. Sikhi is to live. It's experiential. There's nothing finding, mm-hmm. right? You are grounded by the scripture and the body. That's what grounds you. That's what provides you the mental freedom to be present, to be in that state of not of duality so that when the call needs to come, when, when you have given your son, like Guru Gobind Singh had given, right? And you say thanks. Mm-hmm. And you say thanks who even gave you the opportunity to have a son or a daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's when you actually give thanks. You don't say, why me? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Right? And so in the same vein, for me, I tell people, immerse yourself in the scripture because it's the most beautiful scripture in the world. And there's so many ways to engage in tools and you can get into that as well. But be mindful because even in Gurbani, it talks about, and there's these lines that says, you know what? Don't let the book become the prison and, and, and the words become the walls kind of piece itself. Because remember, our responsibility is amongst our worldly duties. Mm-hmm. It's not to isolate ourselves and say, we're going to spend 40 years to try to find ourselves. No, we're finding ourselves through our actions and deeds. This is supposed to be guiding us. And this is when, if we fail or didn't do well enough or something happened and we couldn't handle it properly, we come back here for solace and resolution and keep going back out there because this is where it is. Remember, the battlefield of life. 
yeah. right? That, yeah. That's the battlefield that we have to beat, nothing else on this piece. This is to help the mind make that. This is when Duk Suk happens, when you can have a, a funeral and a birth literally at the same time. A friend of mine says his father passed away, another friend of mine says, just had a baby. Okay, and I got to take both of those in sync, right? And so when anybody is looking um, to, to, to take on a religious identity, and it can be even non-sick, right? I say, go for it and go for it with the integrity that your faith requires of you and let every single obstacle be inspire you to have more courage and resolution and learnings from it. Never should those things drive you the other way around. Because that's that piece, when we're talking about that presence and not being intoxicated and being present in the here and now, look how unique our scripture is. Our scripture is written to very specific musical instructions. It's one of the only scriptures in the world that has very specific musical instructions to it. Mm-hmm. And what are those musical instructions? Is the rag it's supposed to be in, rag, yeah. right? And guess what? If you look at the spectrum of rag, not all rags are in there. There's a spectrum of, that's in there. And why is that spectrum in there? It's a spectrum to keep your mind present. Don't go into lower rags because it gets you depression and despair. Don't get hired that gets you into la-la land and you're not present, neutral. right? Neutral enough, right? That, that you can be here because, you know, where it's the logs into the seas and stuff. Oh, yeah, no, you can joy and spring is here and the birds are coming on, they're frothing on. Oh, no, no, you can have all those emotions. It's not just this neutral indifference pieces, but it's, it's, it's still being present and being able to manage those pieces, right? And so, so the beauty of that is it's supposed to put us in tune with joy and pain and life and all and seasons such that we don't have seasonal depressive disorder. Do you understand that? No, but that's, that's where this is speaking to us on, right? And so, and so not only is it written to various people, then let's look even within it of how it's going. One of the most important words that happens throughout the Guru Granth Sahib is the word Rahau. And what's the purpose of it? Contemplate and reflect. Stop. Pause. But what's the purpose of pausing? It's not just to pause. Pause to take it in, what you just read right now. Reflect and contemplate to see how you're going to apply it. Exactly. Right? And so that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, 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 of Akirtan, of Simran, of Bani, and stuff like that. But remember, doing Simran every day, at the end of the year, I will ask, what good was it if you didn't even feed one homeless person? Or you, didn't, or you didn't give up your time to a greater good. You didn't give some of your money to charity. Okay? Because that's where we would lose it. That's what the Guru actually never wants, because then that's just dogma. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't lead to any outcome. Okay? Because what it's supposed to lead to is, remember, actions and deeds. Actions and deeds. And that's how you hold yourself accountable. Right? And that is the foundation. Like I said, and there's so many great tools we have within our scripture, right? That that's where our people say, saying, that's, that's what you hold on to. That's your foundation. It always will be and should be. And then this is just our expression of it. Then our actions represent us living it. Honestly, I've learned so much just speaking to you in this past little bit. I'm sure our viewers have as well. There's so many things yet to, to, to learn. And, you know, honestly, we could keep going on. For hours with this. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much for the opportunity to, to talk about uh, my life journey and talk a little bit about Sikhi and talk about the, the upcoming movie and stuff like that. I really appreciate your time. Bye, Guruji Ka Khalsa. Bye, Guruji Ka Khalsa.